The Birth Circle podcast features experts in all the nuanced areas of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum with the aim of helping women make the choices that will keep them safe, healthy, and empowered. We respect all birth choices and believe in supporting informed consent and evidence-based practices. Nothing said on this podcast should be taken as medical advice. You should always seek the advice of a competent professional for your care. Welcome to the Birth Circle podcast. This is Sarah with The First Circle, and today I am so honored to have Laurelyn Curtis. She's the founder of the Curtis Method Childbirth Education class, and today we're going to be talking about consent and partner empowerment. So thank you for being here, Laura. I'm super excited. I'm a little nervous, but really excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Laura, how many teach you, How many couples have gone through your class? Oh, I lost count around 3,000. Okay, so to be nervous to be on a podcast, that's I cute. I know, I know. That's, that's just me. That's me. If you know me, you know I'm, an, I'm naturally a high-anxiety person. Well, we're both introverts. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, so Laura, yep. I've known Laura Lynn since... Forever. Well, yeah, we've had... We've had several babies, like close been, together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Um, and I actually took your class when I was pregnant with my fourth eight years ago. So yep. that's how old. Oh my she gosh! Is. is it really eight years? Eight years. You've been changed. doing this for like ten years. I have. Yeah. I've been doing it for ten years. And I'll just say the cool thing about Laura Lynn is that she takes um, different. The Curtis Method is kind of a collection, a compilation of the best of the the methods that you've researched over the years. Yeah, and she's a brilliant teacher. Just everything I've learned. I Mm -hmm. mean, I I never stop studying. I never stop researching. I never. I'm always learning and growing. I learn from my couples. I get feedback from the people that take my class. And if I start to hear like, hey, this really wasn't helpful, or we need more, you know, coaching in this area, I I adapt my class. I. And you were um, a doula. Are you still practicing as a doula now? No, Not I anymore. wish. Someday. Yeah, I will do it someday. But yeah. you were very, very um, oh, well-known and yeah. very busy doula I was all over the place. <laughs> it was a little crazy. There was a whole <laughs> decade where you didn't sleep. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but I wasn't like, sleeping anyway because I had young kids. <laughs> so just throw some births in there, you know. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> but um, over the years, you've come to just become really passionate about consent mm-hmm. In the birth room. Yes. So what does that mean to you? So I've said this before, and I, you know, I can't shut up about this. Um, consent in childbirth in the birth room is just as important as consent in the bedroom. And, you know, people don't like to think about childbirth as being a sexual experience, but it is. I mean, birth and sex are related. People don't like to think about that. We like to try to separate them in our heads, but it is the end result. It's the, it's the pinnacle of human mm-hmm. sexuality, right? So it is part of human sexuality. Um, and we like, we try to separate them because it makes us feel really uncomfortable. Um, but something really powerful happens when we bring birth and sex back together. And that is that we start to understand how important choice and consent and safety and privacy and intimacy are. If we look at at childbirth through the lens of sexuality, all of a sudden we start to understand some things about how birth needs to be in order for women to feel safe. So give some examples. It gives, so, um, for one thing, the environment that, 
birth is taking place in is it really matters. In order for a woman to have a really great birth experience, she has to be birthing basically in the same types of conditions that would help her have a really great sexual experience. So dim lighting, um, you know, music in the background if if she if that Kids is helpful. banging on the door. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yes, that is the best part. <laughs> no, <laughs> although that probably would make her feel at home. Um, but um, so dim lighting, quiet, private, as few people in there as possible. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. we know there are some differences because we got to make sure mom and baby are safe and healthy and okay. But we want to keep that those interruptions to a minimum. Um, and we want her to feel like she is in charge of what's going on with her body at all times, that she has the ability to say yes when she means yes and no when, she's, when she means no, and that those words are sacred. Yes and no are the most sacred words in the birthing space. They must be listened to. They must be respected. And we have to, you know, care providers have to um, operate within those parameters, within the parameter of consent. And it just has to be taught. They Care providers need to understand that, like, we're not, this is, this woman is not just a um, a vessel. She yeah, is a human being. Yeah, and sometimes it's um, just changing your language yes. very subtly. Like a woman may have no problem with what you're doing, like a, a vaginal check or, mm. or even checking the heartbeat, like putting something on her belly. She may have no problem with that. But if you say, I'm going to listen, yep, it's different than saying, may I take a listen to baby? Right. Or um, I'd like to check you is softer than I need to check you yes. or we've got to check you. Yes. I'd like to check you to see if I can, if, if you've got a lip, you seem like you're struggling. That's even, that's better, but even better, better would be maybe, how do you feel about me checking? Yes. Would you like to be checked? Yep. How, how do you feel about having a vaginal exam right now? Would you be comfortable if we... Y- using- and then tell them why, right? Yep. Because if you just say, ah, because it's for... Oh, <laughs> just a minute. See the passion. It's starting. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just can't stand it when a provider, I see a provider doing a vaginal check for their own curiosity. Exactly. But I think it's really cool when they use the, um, when they were watching the mama's cues and they ask her if she seems like she's struggling. Mm-hmm. Can I, can, would, how would you feel if I check you so we can see why you may be struggling? Yep. Or see if, I, you know, or, or the mom might just say, can I just, can you just check me and make sure that I really am in labor? Because I've had moms even yes. up into tra- transition where they don't actually think they're in labor. They're like, this isn't really happening. <laughs> Can you check to make sure I really am dilated? Yeah. yeah, there are times when a woman wants an intervention because it, it benefits her. And so we need to use that language uh, to help her understand you know, if we do this, it can help us understand what's going on. In my class, Sarah, I talk a lot about the difference between compliance and consent. And compliance, just having a nurse or a doctor come in and say, okay, we're going to need you to lay back so that we can monitor your baby. And mom says, okay, she is not just given consent. That's compliance. Whoa. She was not asked, would you be comfortable right now if we did this? Or we need to check on your baby, make sure you're okay. Or we would like to check on your baby, make sure that baby's okay. How do you feel about, about that right now? It's very different just to basically give her an order and say, this is what's going to happen right now. And mom says yes. And we think, okay, that's consent. It's not, that's compliance. So consent implies, first of all, that mother understands what's going on. She knows what the procedure or the intervention or the medication is. She understands how it benefits her. 
Um, she understands, are there any um, disadvantages or any risks to this procedure? Um, is this necessary right now? Do we need to do this right now? Is it important to the health and safety of mother or baby? Or could we, is this just kind of a convenience thing and could we put it off for a while? Mm -hmm. um, so mom has to understand benefits and risks and alternatives and time frames. And once she has that understanding, she has the full picture of what she's saying yes or no to, then and only then can she give consent. And I feel like that is being violated in the birthing space over and over and over, where a couple does not really understand what's going on, but they're, they are complying. They're saying okay, and then they're still leaving their birth experience feeling traumatized and feeling steamrollered and feeling unhappy with what happened. And, and the I, provider's like, but everything seemed fine. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Because at no time did they say, no, I refuse this. It's like, well, she complied with everything, but that isn't consent. And we've got to distinguish between the two. I think part of the problem is um, that we are not raised in a culture of consent. And so... <sighs> We go, I know, I know. Here, the other thing too, I want to be very gentle and very careful because yes. um, this isn't a, 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 a flaming end of the spectrum. Like I'm not, I don't want to just burn down hospitals and no, I don't kill either. all that. No, 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 it's not that at no, all. It's not at just all. recognizing in yourself. I think the, the empowerment starts from within. Mm -hmm. And if you can recognize unhealthy behaviors, then it, it, even just recognizing that it happened. So say, say you grow up with an, an unhealthy consent culture in your family, right. your mother saying, come here, let me wipe your nose right. or, you know, or your dad tickling you when, and you saying little, little subtle things mm -hmm. where you've taught, you're taught that you get rewarded if you comply, but that you have to ignore your consent. Right. Then you get into the birth space and, and it just seems natural. Yep. And then you end up feeling, well, birth is just, it's just primal. It is very primal. And we, we go, so in birth, in labor, women are always seeking where they feel safest. So they want to, if they feel safest when they are um, keeping the peace and they are, you know, being oh, very compliant. So if that's how a woman feels safest is in like taking, caretaking everybody and not upsetting anybody, then that's where she's going to go. Ouch. And see what I'm saying? So, and oh, she's going to try and take care of the nurse's she, feelings yes, before her own. She's going to want to caretake everybody. And people don't realize mm. this, but that is, um, you know how they talk about fight or flight, fight, flight, or flee, flee. There's a fourth F, okay? It's fight, flight, flee. Did I say fight, flight, flee, or fawn? The fourth F of the stress response is a need to caretake and, and like fawn over people and calm people down. Is that a little bit like Munchausen syndrome? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know enough no. about Munchausen, but like this need to like, so when a woman goes into a very strong stress place, when her catecholamine levels are elevated and she's feeling anxious, a lot of women respond to that by trying to basically take care of everybody else in the room and, and be a peacemaker and calm people down. Oh. That's fawning. So in labor, if you see a woman who's worried about the nurses and, you know, stressed about inconvenience people. That is a stress response. She is in fight or flight and she's re she's um, demonstrating her anxiety and stress through caretaking. Okay. So that specific example, how would you coach a woman to be able to to have consent because you don't want to ch change people's personalities. No, and right. I mean, we want people to be nice. <laughs> nice well, is yeah, good. <laughs> no, I mean, funny. I mean, like that's 
to, to completely shift your entire being right. and do all of the, the work it takes to change. It's a lot. No, no. Right. But what can you, how would you coach a woman? So it's something we actually do talk about. And I have a fun assignment that I give to couples in my class. Um, I t- we talk about this, this empowerment to say yes when you mean yes and no when you mean no and not to accept things that are not serving you. And so I'll tell them, okay, I have an assignment for you this week. This is a real assignment. I really want you to do this and then come back and report to me. Um, you know how when you go to a restaurant and you order a meal and they bring it to you and it's really gross and you're not enjoying it and the waiter comes out and is like, how is your meal today? And you're like, mm, it's so good. I love it. I'm like, I want you to go to a restaurant. I want you to order something. And when the waiter, waitress or waiter comes out to ask you, how, how is your meal? I want you to say, you know what? This isn't really working for me. I'd like to send it back and do it calmly, but assertively (gasps) send the food back. And I'm like, and you're going to discover something. You're going to learn the secret to life because not only will they be very polite and say, thank you so much for telling us you're going to get free dessert. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like this is the secret. And they're not, they're happy that you're communicating. They're glad that you're, and I said, same thing when you go to a massage therapist, like massage therapists complain about this all the time where people come in for a massage and they're too afraid to speak up. They're too afraid to be like, oh, that's too much pressure. They just kind of lay there and, Mm. you know, whatever. And and so massage therapists are very careful about saying, please speak up. Let me know how you're feeling. And Well, I've started, this is my little, like, my burning bra moment. Yeah. But when you go to the cashier and they say, did you find everything you need? I say, actually, no. I hate the organization of the new new layout. Like, I will never answer that question unless I, like, see. No, actually, I didn't find what yes. I needed, but look at the $150 of stuff I don't need that customer, I found. Thank you very much. Customer feedback. Like, that's what I want them to do. I want them to get comfortable with standing up for themselves. I tell my dads, like, when we're discussing um, how to protect consent and how to make sure that the mother's right to being consent is being, is being honored at all times, I talk about dads, get excited about stepping into this silverback kind of you know, assertive role, like rather than feeling like your job is just to keep the peace. And okay. Yeah. Let's like go there step now. Into that. <laughs> let's talk about partner consent yes. um, and partner protection, right. protection of the, all that stuff. Yep. This was a big thing for me Yes. in my second birth. And we talked about it and my husband put his hand on the midwife's hand and said, remember we just we wanted delayed cord clamping. Yes. And she completely said, well, nope, sorry, he's struggling and did it in front of him. And, and wow. I mean, I was really upset because it ended up in, um, complications for my baby. It was, it was not a good move. Sure. Um, but we felt like we said we stood our ground and it was still mowed over. But so there was a little bit of empowerment, like, Hey, we did stand our ground. We did our, we did our best and it was her problem, not ours. Yes. Um, but it was just frustrating that she didn't listen. But on the other hand, it was very exciting for me to see my partner step into the role. Our first birth, very, very, very traumatic. Mm-hmm. And as I've gone through therapy and worked through the trauma, there was a part of my where my husband felt guilt. Like, how could you have I let you suffer in front of me? He was there the whole time. Right. How could you know? How could I let that happen to you? And I was never in a place of anger for him, for him because he didn't know any better. He didn't know the term birth rape. He didn't know consent. He was compliant the entire time. He didn't want right. to get in the way of the doctor. Right. And so for him to stand at our second birth and say, no, remember we talked about that? That was like, 
Hey, babe. Huge. Hey, babe. <laughs> yes. It is. Yeah. And so that, that can happen. It's not that you have to, well, I don't know. What do you tell your couples about what they have to do about guarding the space? Do you have to go in with your, all your guns loaded or like, how do you, how do you teach your couples to prepare? I th- so you have to be careful that you prepare them to create a cooperative birth environment. I don't want them going in guns blazing, uh, you know, shields up. And because the birth space, it needs to be such a positive, safe place. We, we, we need to keep the stress levels down. And so for me, it's about creating uh, like um, an atmosphere of cooperation with the care providers. So mm-hmm. there's a lot that can be done. There's a lot that you can do to help protect that. The first kind of most important thing, uh, and I know everybody talks about this, but you really do have to have a birth plan. You've got to jot down. You need to take the time to write down, these are my priorities. These are the things that are most yep. important to me. With the understanding that I could change my mind at any time, and with the understanding that things might happen that we didn't plan on, and mm-hmm. at that point, we will make different choices. But these are the things that are most important to me. These are my priorities. So having that birth plan in place, honestly, you guys, it's not an option. Don't ever listen to anyone who says, if you write a birth plan, you know, you're more likely to have a C-section. That is absolutely We actually untrue. did an entire episode on birth plan Good. planning because yep. it's such an important part of getting your mindset ready for your birth. Yep. And and make sure that dad fully understands what is on that plan. He needs to be just as educated. He's not going to be motivated to stand up and advocate for these, um, these priorities if yep. he doesn't understand why they're important. Yes. So educated dads, number one, we want our dads to be just as much birth experts as our moms by the end of a, a course. Like that's a good childbirth education course. Um, another thing that is really important is we talk about the three words that couples might hear in labor that cause them to lose their birth empowerment, that cause them to think, oh, I have no choices here. And these three words are really powerful. Um, they use them in a medical setting because they know these words get compliance very quickly. And we've got to watch out for them. And so the three words are, and I'll tell you how to deal with them. The first word that couples hear in childbirth that can cause them to feel like they don't have options or choices and have to comply is the word mandatory. If a couple says, okay, we really wanted to do um, delayed cord clamping. And the nurse says, well, I'm sorry, it's mandatory. We have to clamp the cord, um, you know, 60 seconds or 30 seconds after the birth. That's mandatory. Then couples go, oh, shoot, well, I really want to delay cord clamping, but the nurse here is saying it's mandatory, so I guess we have no options. And boom, just like that, because they use that one word, couples now feel like they have to comply. Okay, the second word that is very powerful in this way is the word policy. And when they say it's hospital policy that you have to be given a bag of IV fluids upon admission, or it's policy that you have to receive a vaginal exam before we will admit you to the hospital. That's just our policy. Or our policy states that you can't eat during labor, nothing but ice chips. And couples think, oh, well, we learned in childbirth class that it was safe to eat in in labor, but the nurse here is saying that it's policy. It's against their policy. So I guess... I guess we have to comply with that. Boom, compliance. The third one would be procedure. 
So if they say, well, that's our, our, that's just standard procedure. If they hear procedure, policy, mandatory, all of a sudden it, they compliance and they're like, okay, I guess what I wanted, my priorities were not important, but this is what you need to know. And people don't know this. This is a little secret. Okay. The words mandatory policy and procedure apply to the hospital staff, not to the birthing couple. By that, I mean that things that are mandatory in labor, it's mandatory for the nurse to come in and say, we need to go ahead and and start a saline lock. She has to say that. It's on her checklist. She has to come in and offer that or she could get in trouble. Mandatory for the nurse, not mandatory for you to accept it. I know. Mind blown. Mind blown. And so th- they, they, the hospital has policies. The birthing couple does not. The hospital has procedures. The couple does not. There are things that are mandatory for nurses and doctors because of the constraints under which they're working, not mandatory for moms and dads. And so this is the very phrase that I teach. So if they come in and say, you hear one of those three words, first of all, ding, ding, ding. I want your, your lights to go off, right? And you go, ooh, we talked about these words in class. And I want you to say, I understand that this, this is considered mandatory at this hospital. However, our, our priority or our preference is dot, dot, dot. Please mark it in my chart. And that's it. I understand that that is considered policy. However, our preference is this thing. Please mark it in my chart. Done. Yeah. Another thing that people don't realize is they can um, literally walk out of that hospital at any point. And you hear, I've heard stories of women <laughs> like in transition and mm-hmm. somebody's being a brat. And so they just pick up their bags and check out of the hospital mm-hmm. against medical advice. <laughs> And go somewhere else. It does. It does occasionally happen. Um, I, I've actually been a doula at a birth where that happened. Really? Yeah. So one of my earlier clients, when I was early in my in my career, a mom. It was her. Was it her third baby? It was her third baby. She'd had two, uh, no. It was her fourth baby. She had had two prior cesareans. Her third was a VBAC. She wanted another VBAC for her fourth, and she hired a doctor. She had a birth plan, and the doctor's like, "Yep, yep, yep. Sounds good. We'll do everything you want." And then in actual labor, the doctor was not respecting any of this mom's priorities. Baby was fine. Mom was fine. But the doctor was saying, no, we need you in the bed. You have to have an IV continuously. Just a lot of things that this mom did not want. And um, about six centimeters, she sat up and said, I'm not doing this anymore. You guys have gone against everything that was important to me. I'm leaving. And they were very upset. She signed herself out. And I am the doula. I'm terrified because I don't deliver (laughs) babies. I'm like, um, you know that I'm not a midwife, right? <laughs> she's we like, can't do a car and she's, she's like, I don't care. I'll catch this baby myself. I'm not staying. And so we did actually end up calling a, a birth center, a midwife mm-hmm. who, and I said, I said, I've got a mom in labor. <laughs> she's six centimeters. She just left the hospital. And she's like, I will be right there. And she ended up having a phenomenal birth. Uh, you know, 11 and a half, something like 11 and a half pounds or 11 pounds, three ounces, no tearing, easy birth. It was fantastic. I want to, though, speak to that really quickly. That situation, that ability is very rare. For a woman in labor to be able to sit up and say, I'm, I'm leaving, that is that doesn't happen very often because moms in labor, their oxytocin levels are so high, right? We talk about how oxytocin is the birth. So they're more likely to fawn. Yes. Because the oxytocin hormone, that is the labor hormone. It's what causes your uterus to contract. It's what causes labor to progress. But 
oxytocin is also the hormone of trust. So when a mom is in labor, she's it becomes incredibly trusting. That's why you can hurt a mom so deeply. You have to be so in careful. labor. Yes, because she'll believe whatever you say. She'll accept it. She. Oh, you've got these three words: mandatory policy procedure. But there's also a couple other words. Oh, like, let's hear. Them. Um. Well, your baby might die. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, and that, and I call that manipulative language. So we talk about, um, you know, using manip- manipulation tactics where they're using this fear-based extremist language to basically guilt the mom into compliance. And if they have guilted, and I said, if they use that type of fear-based language to manipulate you, you have not given consent. You've been manipulated into compliance, and that's not the same thing. Um, So this goes to, and this is what we're talking about. This goes to what I teach to our dads called triangulation, um, where the dads get to be kind of the warrior for consent. They are the protector of consent. And I talk to them about what consent looks like and what it sounds like. Like consent is when they come in and they say, would you be comfortable or if, Uh, we did this? Or how would you feel? It's not to just come in and give an order. And you talked about this earlier. Say, okay, we're going to need you to lay back so that we can do an exam. That's not consent. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's coercion. That's coercion. And then compliance if she does And compliance. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I tell the dads, look out for it. This is what consent sounds like. Let's say a nurse comes in and starts to use coercive language. Dads, you are going to jump in and get the consent from the mom that the nurse failed to get. So if the nurse doesn't look at her- Oh, I like that technique. It works. So if the nurse doesn't come in and say, would you be comfortable if I did a vaginal exam? She just says, lay back, we need to do an exam. The dad can jump in and say, sweetie, are you comfortable with this right now? How do you feel? Are you okay? Would you- and, and kind of protect it and say, do you want to ask some questions first? Do you want to talk about it? Or just like what your husband did, like, we're delayed, you know? So he's jumping in and, and getting Cause the Because there's consent. the other thing is um, they can't, they won't listen to anybody in the room except the mother and the partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even the partner, sometimes it's iffy. So if you're in a place where you can't make these decisions, your partner is the only one that can speak for you. Your doula, exactly. your mother, your mother-in-law, your photographer, yep. your videographer. Yep. I cannot speak for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> I can't even, you know, like right. this is not. You're yeah. there to witness mm-hmm. and to document. Yeah, but the so the dad can step in and, and get that consent. And what's beautiful about it is that it's an easier for a woman to look at the person she loves and say, I don't want a vaginal exam right now. She well, can her say that. She can say that to him. It gives her an out, and then he buffers and it then, back to the nurse. And then he buffers oh, it back. That's so so sexy. it works really beautifully. So and and what it what it what we're doing here, the dad is not speaking for her. He is facilitating that exchange of information because it's frightening it. for her to speak up. So, but she like dad can even get really close to her, like right up to her ear and say, "Sweetie, are you comfortable with this right now?" And she, she can, can be honest. She with can be him. right in his ear and say. And dad can stand up because he's not in a hyper oxytocinated state. Is that a word? Hyper oxytocinated. It, it is now. He's not in a hyper oxytocinated, oxytocinated state. <laughs> he's less vulnerable. So he can say, she's not comfortable with this right now. Could you please come back later? Or we're refusing this right now. Or I understand that this is considered policy, but our preference is whatever, dot, 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 write it in our chart. So mm-hmm. that's what I mean by triangulation. I look forward to the, the day that that technique is not necessary because hospitals have been to consent seminars and trainings and they understand the type of language that they must use. And that if they, you know, like 
If they have three infractions where they use coercive language with a mom, they're up for censure or review or, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like at some point, Sarah, I believe we're, we'll get there. We'll get there. And this is why we're doing this podcast. Yeah. This is why we agitate for change. And we're so grateful for all of the four mothers that have gone before us that have worked right? so, so hard, gone to jail because to, to, to create the rights that we have now. And yep. now it's just tweaking and fine tuning the language. And the, one of the things that, um, that I'm so vehemently, um, oh, I just, I just must, <laughs> I stand for is that you, um, back to the birth is sexual. Yeah. You do not know what the <sighs> sexual history of that mother is. That's right. And, um, because of the oxytocin and that birth is a sexual, sexual act. It's a continuation of a sexual act. Um, that you, how do I say this? Like gently, like you keep your fingers out. Like you, this is so close to, um, the, the line for me that I just, I, I don't know. I don't even, I'm just, I don't want to go too emotional. No, the, we need the emotion. Oh the emotion's my important. Gosh. Because somebody's got to get mad about it and, and stand up for it. Yeah. Sarah, I call this non-penetrative obstetrics. We need to move towards a world where we are practicing non-penetrative obstetrics. This idea that a woman has to be penetrated over and over and over uh, with a vaginal exam in order to give birth is... <laughs> well, it's false. There's it's so many false. other ways you can tell dilation. So I've been many. to so many births where she never gets a vaginal check. Yep. And me, as the filmmaker, yep. knows where she is. Exactly. It's her noise. Yep. It's, there's a line on her back. And in an yep. unmedicated birth, it's very easy to tell where a woman is. It is. But um, the, the I heard something in your class. And this is why I'm like, it, it's a little bit um, extreme. So uh -oh. don't make this the new <laughs> mantra. But I heard it and it kind of seared in my mind because it's what I needed to hear at the moment. Yeah. So I'm going to... Trigger warning all the, um, anything inserted into a woman's vagina without her consent is rape. Mm -hmm. By that definition, yes. I was raped repeatedly during my first birth. Now, I, I've told this story to some people. Some people, like, they nod their heads like you are to me now. But so many people go, that's not really rape. What was their intention? Was their intention to get off on you? Was that what? And I was like, you know what? It's not about their intention. Mm -hmm. It's about my body. And I said no. Yeah. And there was one particular time where I had my legs crossed. And they pried my legs apart. And checked me during a contraction. Yeah, that was so traumatic. Yeah, we and and we have to be like you said. We have to be super careful with with triggers and and with you know it can be birth can trigger some of that that past sexual trauma. And there's there's a number that stands in my mind that I hear in regards to women a lot, and it really I think it's an important number. There's a number one in three. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I want to talk about. Sorry, just a minute, John. I'm gonna. I'm. I have to go back on that one. Yeah. So when you say somebody's got to get mad, mm -hmm. make a note. Somebody's got to get mad. I want to start that story over. I'm yeah. sorry. I just can't. It's okay. It just. It. It. I. I do worry that it could be triggering for uh -huh. some moms. You know what I'm saying? Like it can be. I, I. We'd almost have to put a trigger warning at the beginning, just for people that have our. Okay, I'm survivors. gonna soften it, and I'm also not gonna go so personal. I. I would. Okay. All right. So somebody's got to get mad. The thing, ready, John? The thing that really gets me is that this is a continuation of the sexual act, right? right? Yeah. 
So it's what you would assume would be consensual in a sexual relationship should also be carried over into the birth space. Always. So if a doctor is coming in or a nurse and saying, I need to check you, and the woman is saying no, honestly, how is that different? The conversation's over. If she says no. I don't understand how, I, yeah. but, but it's, I've said this to people before, and they're like, but what's their intention? Their intention isn't sexual towards you. And so, you know, their intention is your health and the baby's health. So, so that should be okay. And I'm saying, wait a minute. If a woman says no, you may not insert anything into my body space. Mm-hmm. Why then would it would it would their worries, their policy, their mm-hmm. insur- their liability worries about how they practice medicine, um, be more important than the woman's con- control over her own body? They're not. And I want to tell you, Sarah. You know, I've been now teaching for ten years, and I have seen an enormous shift here. I have. I remember when I was having my babies, uh, and it was not. It was. It has shifted now the culture so that when women do say, hey, I'm not comfortable with this, people are listening. Like they, my moms yes. are having, they are being treated with much more respect. We, and we're not that old, but right. there has been a huge shift. Huge shift, even in the and last I'm decade. so grateful. Yeah. And I hope that it's not just in our small community because sometimes we feel a little bit, yeah. again, we're podcasting from Utah yeah. and Utah is one of the rare states where anything goes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and so- um, because because anything goes, women have so many choices, mm-hmm. and those that freedom trans over to the the um, the the birthing room in the hospital. Because honestly, the the doctors are aware that moms have home birth and birth center options, mm-hmm. and so the hospitals are becoming more and more um, focused on a consensual environment. And do you know what's so cool, Sarah? I I. T- I- think about this all the time. I think about the fact that the trend towards home birth has made hospital birth better. Safer. And safer. Yes. Because whenever we give women more options, <laughs> right, all of those options become more competitive and start saying, okay, how do we make this? Well, I have an we cater OB to women? Yes. that told me that um, he practices kind of like a midwife, very, very um, hands-off, naturally minded. And he said that um, the other OBs, the older OBs in his practice kind of changed the way they practice. They because, have to. <laughs> because he became the kind of yes. the star doctor of the practice and all the moms were flocking to them. Yep. And the other doctor's like, hey, we want, hey. <laughs> See what happens? That's the thing. Like there is power in grassroots. There is power in consumers educating themselves, uh, couples, you know, becoming prepared and uh, powerful through education and walking in and saying, this is what we want. This is our, you know, and all these couples come in with their birth plans and nurses are getting more and more used to them. And over time, because of the competitive nature of business and, <laughs> you know, they go, you know, we might need to start catering to what well, our clients it, want. In the 90s, <laughs> they started calling them birth suites and they started putting yeah. pictures on the walls. Yes. So it started. It, it started. started. And, and I wish it were faster. Like I wish I could wave a magic wand and just ding, make everything better, but I can't. Um, I wish I could walk into hospitals and start from the top down. Down, but my role no, is an that's educator. That's not going to work. Yeah, it's and I not. know it's not going to work because we have high-powered people. You yeah. have to be Oprah to like yeah, make change I that know big. It. And even then, yep. she can't. Yep. She doesn't have that much. But what happens at grassroots if we have right. the three million moms that are going to give birth this year yep. in, the, in the United States? If we all have them go into their hospital and say, "No, I choose this." Yep. If they the understand. hospitals are going to adapt their policies to yep. their clientele, and that's how we 
get changed. Absolutely. And I, I think for me that the change starts with an understanding of consent. And I love that it's such a big word right now. I love that it's all over the place. We're talking about the Me Too movement. We're talking about consent all the time now. And people are starting to wake up to it. And that... Um, that arena or, or, you know, that concept has kind of worked its way into the birthing space in a really exciting way, at least from my perspective. Totally. Me too. There is still some people that will say though, well, I had all my births were fine. I don't know what you guys were all whining about. And they get somewhat irritated Mm -hmm. by this birth movement. And it always kind of like confused me because, um, I mean, if you have a, 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 a yacht addiction or you love golf, it doesn't offend me when you buy a $4,000 golf bag or you buy a new, like, I, I don't care. It's not important to me. I don't understand why it bothers women who say they, well, this, this does never happened to me or, or I've talked to some of my business mentors who are are elderly, older men. And they say, my wife never had this problem. We never had this problem. And it's almost like if they didn't have the problem, it's not a problem. Yeah. And I think the people listening to this podcast are generally thinking like, there's got to be something different. Mm-hmm. There's got to be something different out yeah, there. Yeah, they're, they're looking for something different. Yeah. Yeah. They they aren't, maybe they've had a birth where they weren't satisfied with the way it went, or maybe they they did experience um, a difficult recovery or trauma. And so I guess for me, and, and I have to be really careful because I am so passionate about this. I want to talk to everybody about it. But for me, I realize if a woman is perfectly satisfied with her births. Like if she looks back at her births and she's like, what? I had all, you know, I had the births that I need to have. Like I was fine. I'm not going to take that from her. No. I don't, I don't want to get up in her face and be like, no, no you weren't you actually should. empowered. Yeah. Don't you realize right. that you were damaged? If she, and that's what I'm saying. No, don't do that lo- either. Right. If she loved her birth yep. and was empowered and felt like it was a good experience and mm-hmm. I'm, then that's all I care about. I, again, I say this in class too, and, and this always gets my couple's attention. They kind of get real quiet and perk up and, uh, and listen to me. I'll say, I'm going to tell you something that might surprise you. And that is that I do not care about natural birth. I don't, I don't Mm -hmm. care about it. I don't care about natural birth because natural birth does not have feelings for me to care about. I care about women, (laughs) the women, the women are the feelers about babies. I care about families. I care about helping you guys be educated and prepared Mm -hmm. so that regardless of what happens in your birth, you walk away feeling like I was listened to. I was respected. I made the choices that were best for me in the moment. And that can include, and Sarah, this is something you talk about all the time. That can include a surgical birth, a birth by cesarean. If that is what the right choice that can include an epidural. If the mom's like, listen, I'm suffering and I don't want to. Right. Provider. So so, uh, the example that you give uh, that you're talking about it, I, I think of this time, um, I know a woman who gave birth five times with a a local OB. Mm -hmm. This local OB is known in the natural birth community for some terrible, terrible things. Like, terrible, like... So there are some of us think he should lose his license. Yeah, terrible. Sure. But this mom loved all five of her births were perfect. Yeah. She loved him. And the problem was when she would refer him to friends who he wasn't a match for. Mm -hmm. And so um, when you're looking for a provider. Oh, yeah. Referrals are a great place to start, mm-hmm. but you can't take someone's word like, oh, he's a great doctor. Oh, she's a great midwife. You can't take that, those kinds of words like you can, he's a great carpet cleaner. He's a great landscaper. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean the same in birth. Mm-hmm. And so it's a great starting place to get some context, but you have to go find a provider that matches your 
what you feel will keep you safe and healthy. Exactly. And, and that's, that's another big thing that we talk about is like how to make sure that you've chosen a care provider who shares your, your priorities or who, um, respects your priorities and what's important to you. And, and you can really tell by the way you feel in prenatal appointments. If you feel relaxed and calm and safe and listened to and happy at a prenatal appointment with that care provider, you're probably going to feel relaxed and safe and happy and calm in birth. <laughs> it's like bad relationships. Exactly. If, 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 if the relationship isn't going <laughs> yes. well, keeping your house a little cleaner or dressing yes. a little nicer or losing a little yes. weight isn't going to change the relationship. Exactly. Same with the birth provider. That's right. Like don't, you, you've got to see how, what is your emotional state? Like, how do you feel during, do you feel rushed? Are they rolling their eyes at you? Are they refusing to answer questions? Like all of that behavior that is going to carry over into the mm-hmm. birthing space. So you've got to choose your care provider based on it. It really is an emotional response. You feel relaxed and safe and, and calm and, and happy. Why do we think that they've hired us? Yeah. What is that? <laughs> Hello. You I've chosen you the- as my, my patient. <laughs> yeah. I'm, no, I'm, I mean, and that, that, that if, you know, if you walk out of the hospital until the baby's born, there's no money. Yeah. Like, so, <laughs> so they want, no, but I, I also want to go back to, um, talking about the birth space again, yes. um, that, that this is a continuation of the sexual yes. uh, relationship between the partners mm-hmm. and, um, how, um, surprised I was when I started seeing couples who would continue the sexual act. I'm not talking like intercourse in like the movies. Right. <laughs> I'm talking about the intimacy oh, between yeah. partners. I started seeing that during labor yes. and it kind of took my breath away. I kind of felt like I wasn't supposed to see these things. They were too secret to be mm-hmm. seen. And I don't honestly don't see it all that often mm-hmm. that where they go to the depths of their relationship yeah. right there in that moment. And I would just like want to put that out there. Oh yeah, I'll tell you, you what. That you teach your couple. I do. So talk. So that's. <laughs> how did you like that leading <laughs> example? That was so good. So tell me, like, tell all of the people what you've told me. Like, how do you teach your couples to bring that intimacy back into the birth? So, the first thing. All that, the feels. I'm ready. I know. I know. <laughs> the first thing that I want to impress upon them is to understand that it is not just women who have birthing instincts. We talk a lot about Ooh. a woman following her instincts, her intuition in birth. Let me tell you, Sarah, men have birthing instincts. They do. They have intuition. They have instincts. And if they will let go of their fear and their anxiety and step into that just ancient primal protector advocate state place, it becomes, in, first of all, it becomes very sensual because he is touching her. He's holding her. He's protecting her and he, you know, he's following this instinct to like keep predators away. (laughs) And, and what happens is she'll just kind of melt into that space and just go, I'm so safe here in your arms. I'm so safe here. And she knows she's protected. And there is Because again, that oxytocin. Yes. That, that baby chick, that, that, or the baby duckling, the imprint. Yep. Mommy imprints. Oh, absolutely. In labor. She's imprinting on her partner. She's sharing that oxytocin 
oxytocin through the placenta with her baby. So her baby is in utero floating oh, around in me. liquid love. Oh. And the baby's like feeling that rocking motion and listening to the sound of the mother moaning and singing. And, and that baby's falling in love. But here's what's so cool. And couples don't know this. People don't know this. The man's oxytocin level rises nearly as high as the mother's in labor when he is actively, intimately involved. If he's sitting in the corner on his phone, he doesn't get that imprint hormone, that oxytocin high. But if he's touching her and holding her and staying close, dad's Mm -hmm. oxytocin levels rise and they, so dad is now bonding and the three of them together are just, it, it becomes this like unbreakable circle, this bond and it's forever. It doesn't, you know what I mean? Regardless of what happens in the future with the relationship or what trials you go through, that bond is forever. And well, the bond between a parent and a child is unbreakable. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, you have a dad bond to its baby. It doesn't matter what happens to the partner yeah. with it, with the marriage or whatever, but, yeah. but that dad with that baby, you want, you want your baby to have as much love yeah. as possible. So you do. And I tell my dads, I'm like, go into the space, release your fear, relax, take some deep breaths. Like the, the relaxation exercises I teach, they're just as much for, for dads so that they can follow their birthing instincts. And I'm like, listen, your, your instincts will tell you how to touch her, mm-hmm. how to hold her, what to say to her. I don't want to give you a script for what to say. I want you to say what comes from your heart. And you know what I'm saying? So listen to your instincts. And I think that has been really powerful uh, is to help men identify the fact that they do have birthing instincts. So just telling the men that they do that and waking them to that potential, is that enough to kind of light some guys on fire and like give them permission to do? It's definitely step one. I would say step two is showing birth films. Uh, and I show Ooh. I show birth films of my couples and Sarah. I was gonna say I'm gonna have to link one because this one the per- majority yeah yeah the mo- you you filmed most of <laughs> no, them the, my, oh man this the the oh, one birth gosh. that I saw I I like I was in a really hard place in my life and I watched this couple and it wasn't um, like I said I almost didn't like didn't think I should be allowed to see it because. Nothing sexual, like yeah. like I said, nothing movie porn or anything. No, it's no, just but love. But his, his attentive to her every eyelash yeah. and her every strand of hair, her every bead of sweat, her every word. And, and they would just, their faces would come together and they would whisper sweet nothings. And I was like, oh, <gasps> I never saw this when I used to chills, film weddings. Chills, Yeah, and, yeah. Then, and, then, and then the way he held, oh, oh, they locked eyes. Oh my gosh, she because she had a hard descent. Yeah. And so she locked eyes. She was, she was, um, spinning out a little bit and he was like worried, you know, they near the end there, it was a little bit intense. And so I said, look at him. Cause I'd seen this like display of amazingness for the last eight hours. So I said, look at him. She locked eyes at him. And I was like, I was in some sort of movie. It was just, and he looked at her and he just beamed back and he just like yeah. all the force. He birthed that baby yes, with her. That's like right. that's, They're it was the it most amazing I just can't even describe it. You just have to go watch the video. But I even will. then, yeah, <laughs> I think I've even, seen it. <laughs> it doesn't even. I've seen it a couple times with this yeah. one couple though. I just taught me. I learned more about love in that instant than I'd yeah. ever, ever. Oh yeah. Seen or what? I just nothing. It's the birth nothing. of a family. Uh-huh. It's incredible. So we do. We watch these the birth, birth films. Of a family. Yeah. The birth it's not of a just family. it's not just a mom becoming or a woman yeah. becoming a mom it's a family becoming mm-hmm. a family yeah and and so we watch those videos and I think that empowers them to say hey I can step into that role I understand that place um, and we talk about um, 
you know, we, we have them do, I have my couple set up once a week, what we call a daddy doula date. So everything that we learned in class and practice in class, I have them practice at home. Uh, so they get to do the counter pressure together and the breathing techniques and the massage techniques that we do. They're practicing all of that at home and it becomes like this date night thing. And it becomes part of like the fun. Oh, you're killing me. And the I excitement. Don't, I'm not even, I don't have, my youngest is eight, but I'm going to go home and practice my hypnobirthing <laughs> scripts with my husband. Because like, it's fun. Hey, <laughs> yeah, but how cool is it? Because traditionally, we, we all the resources are poured into mom, yeah. mom, mom, yep. mom. There's nothing out there really much oh, for dad. We, do a lot with we have our a dads. couple baby wraps that are in vogue right now for dads. Yep. But what do we do for dads? But to to pull them in and just say, here's your super yep. secret awesome sauce. Yeah. Well, I think I, there's a lot. We do so much of that. And as the years go by, I do more and more of empowerment of dads. And I've realized that the first thing you have to do is help dads identify and release their own trauma and their own fear surrounding birth. And sometimes we don't even acknowledge that they might have a history of trauma. Or All right. I'm writing that down for a future episode do it. because seriously, yeah, that's big. a big one. It's big. Because just like we as uh, females are generally taught to comply and not consent, Guys have their own set of they special they mind do. games. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and 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 they need to we need to help them identify their own fears, what's holding them back. And so we do uh, you know, a fear release script. And I'm like, Dads, this is just as much for you. You are the birthing father here. She's the birthing mother, you're the birthing father. You are integral in this process. And and, you know, if if you're bringing fear and trauma and anxiety into the birthing space, she is going to absorb that. She's going to feel that. It's going to affect her. So um, so we do a ton of work with our dads. Um, I, I also want to just plug in that this isn't just for dads. I've seen this beautiful um, thing happen with sisters and yeah. moms. Yep. And so like, just want to really yes, quick say you. that. And, and I have a film, maybe I'll link it down, um, of a single mom surrounded yes. by her sister was the midwife, her yep. doula was her sister, and then there was the matriarch of the family looking oh. over the entire thing. Oh, and this baby me. was born into the arms of his, his mother, his aunts, and his grandma. And so that's, I mean, I've seen it there too. Like you yep. can have this amazing yep. intimacy with your mom. Absolutely. With your best friend. Yep. With your... Um, any type of partner, this can be magical. Well, because it's the birth of a family and a family can look like a lot of different things. Yep. So fa every family is unique. And so I guess what it boils down to is this is the birth of the, the, this birth is the of magic the that starts the birth of a family. Yeah. And you know, I appreciate you bringing that up because I am a single mom. So that's near and dear to my heart. And I do have plenty of single moms that, I mean, single moms need birth education and they need birth education mm -hmm. where they're going to feel comfortable. And so we do have moms attend with their daughters or sisters. And how attend beautiful together. would this to and have it, a, a, oh, a mommy so doula date and, oh, and go through this with your mom. And that's what we have them do. And they and they really have a, a beautiful time with or your it. Your mother-in-law. Do you know one friend. of the coolest things? And this was years ago, but I had a birth mom and the and the adoptive mother. Oh, take, there we go. They took the class together, and she. So the adoptive mom was her doula, and she was yep. there in the room, and they had this magical birth together. And it's creating a family. Isn't that beautiful? Oh my gosh. I know. Oh, I know. I just want to so cry. Yummy. So it's like oh. So yeah, I need to go get some chocolate. I like, know right now. <laughs> 
chocolate boost oxytocin. <laughs> oh my so. heavens. The darker, the better right now. Like yeah, so I just, yummy. I feel like I could talk to you for like, ever. why do we not talk <laughs> well, all just, the time? I know. No, but I just love talking about this. I love taking, trying, I'm not very good at it, but I love trying oh, to take the feelings that yeah. I see at these births yeah. and the ideals of what I know could happen mm-hmm. and trying to put them into words and trying to like translate them into ways. Cause I know so many moms, there's so much information out there and you yes. feel overwhelmed. It's like planning a wedding on steroids. Cause then you have, you know, all your hormones and stuff. Yep. And if anybody takes anything away from this podcast, I just, I want it to be just, there's lots of choices, but when it all comes down to it, it's simple. Mm-hmm. It's distilling safety and love for you. Yep. What is it for you? Right. Oh, absolutely. It's just simple. And it's, it, we do overcomplicate it sometimes, and it and it is it is it is complex, um, but it is also very simple. It really it's ancient. Like we've been doing mm-hmm. this since the beginning of time, right? That we need to go back to those ancient roots. Uncomplicate birth, yep. right? Strip yep. away what is what isn't necessary, and just be in a state of love and safety and privacy with with your love Honor, partner and yeah. respect. Yep. Yeah. All of that. That's and that's where that's my goal. That's what I'm working towards. That's what I will never shut up about until the day I die. I, oh, that's, that's the other thing. That's funny. The, so the birth world. A lot, lot of people come in and out. There'll be doulas for a few. There's a lot of people that come in and out of the phase of birthing, and then yeah. there's these diehards like oh, you and I'm me. A, I'm a diehard. I'm like my babies are. <laughs> I'm not nursing or anything nope. anymore. But I am. I stand for women's yep. safety. That's right. Consent, health. That because I know it affects her being for the rest of her life. The whole family. Her whole family. It it affects the health of the entire Mm -hmm. family. Uh, So, yeah, that's, I, 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 this is not a fly by night for me. This isn't something that I know two years I'm going to be like, eh, I'm tired of birth. Personally, like (laughs) the Curtis method is one of my favorites because of how its take on it. It's, it's a very new, um, enlightened. You pull a lot of tools <laughs> in. Do. It's not. It's not a. Um, it's not a religion that's been set in stone. That you've got to do it a certain way. Right. It's just a compilation of of what you've learned over the years, teaching thousands and thousands of couples. And you have like some fun stats, right? I do. Like, I don't think I. Ha- I don't have them updated right now. They so used I'd to probably... be pretty amazing, though. That like I know. certain number of your couples, yeah. could successfully be back. And yeah. a certain. Number I need of... to go back and like yeah, crunch fun. the numbers again. It's been a while since I've done it. But Super nerdy when you did it. It was. Super. <laughs> <laughs> it was a while ago. Yeah, but it was. Um, but it just goes to show, like the education. Yeah. is really, really the most powerful impact on your birth. Oh yeah. Outcome. It's not which has- hospital no. you give birth in, or, or I gave birth in the back of a van. And oh yeah, that, wait, and that wait, was my quick. best we birth. Have two so. minutes. We have two minutes. I want to tell that story <laughs> oh, no. really fast. Remember the part where you like really wanted a home birth, yeah. but we're secretly too- yes. And I had just had my first closet home birth. Yes, like you we did. weren't out, we weren't out yet. And um, I was like, Laura, I really think you should just stay home. And then I'm too scared, Sarah. I can't <laughs> do it. My babies are too big. <laughs> I don't think I can handle it. And you were just zenning in the bathtub yep. until you couldn't zen anymore yep. because that was transition. The baby was coming out. So then <laughs> Describe to the thousands of the listeners. Oh my goodness. Born in the back of the van. Yeah. What temperature was it? It was the middle of December. There was ice and snow it was everywhere. Degrees. It was 19 degrees and I was so soaking And your neighbor, wet. neighbor <laughs> was an OB, right? Our na- no, he was a doctor he was a and doctor. he had just moved in like two days before and he heard the commotion and he came out. So his introduction to the neighborhood was, was me in the back of a van butt. with a baby coming out of me. And it was it, like the birth was... I. <laughs> 
it was so comfortable and quick and easy that I did not know I was in labor literally until I was pushing. I did not believe it. Well, and, and then when you were holding your baby, I went to visit you and yeah. you were just glowing. You're like, yeah. that was the most magical birth and you just couldn't shut up about oh, it. Oh, I couldn't. I, like, I, I still like, can't shut up about <laughs> it. I'll t- I've told the story thousands of times. I'll never stop. It, it was like if Wonder Woman were going to have a baby, that's how she would do it. You know what I mean? Like, no, she would have <laughs> stayed in the tub where it was that's warm. True. <laughs> Good point. But I do like to tell stubborn. people, I like to say that birth, my third birth, that is, you know how every superhero has their that origin mi- story? Yep. That, that is, is my origin story. story. And, like, sure. and it's like the best, or it's way better than a radioactive uh-huh. spider bite. Like that is my origin story. That is where I really f- felt the next phase of my life begin. And it changed everything. I've never been the same person since, but you were, okay. I, sorry. I just have to brag about you for a second. You were a huge inspiration there. Like you were the first person who even got the idea in my head that home birth existed, that home birth was a thing that was a valid option. It never occurred to me before that. Also, you were the per- first person who planted the seed in my head to do my own method rather than mm. teaching somebody else's childbirth oh, method. Yeah. Cause I started out teaching a different method. Uh, and it really wasn't working for me. It wasn't working for my clients. I was like, I can do this better. And you're like, so just do, do it. it. <laughs> so why don't you just make your own program? And I'm like, I couldn't do that. And you're like, yes, yes you could. <laughs> and literally, I think it was a year later. I think yep. it was like a year later where I launched the Curtis Method. And I, it, that was a huge leap of faith. And I thought, this is never going to go anywhere. And then it just did. It, people it's just were amazing. signing up. And I'm like, what is happening? So you were a, a huge inspiration for that. And, and you are the idea lady. Like you do, you plant the seeds of ideas in people's minds. And, it's, and you and I have sat there and come and hatched plans over oh, yeah. the years and thousand percent of my I ideas know. never happened but the, I believe and when the movie Inception came out yes. it wonked with my head yes. so much because I was like that's what it is it's planting the planting seed. the seed if a mom can just get uh, sometimes for me it's just a, a phrase that just yes. completely shifts my entire yes. understanding of the universe yep and so that's yeah just planting seeds and just yep. um when your friend is pregnant or when something, you can mm-hmm. just you can instead of saying you're looking so big yeah. or whatever say something that yep. plants a seed yep. of impact empowerment yeah. and support. Yep. And that's that, what you're doing with this podcast. Yeah. We're planting seeds mm-hmm. all over the place. Check Sprinkling. it out. <laughs> Sprinkling seeds. So where can people find more about you? So my website is curtismethod.com. Uh, I'm all C-U-R-T-I-S method. dot com. I really hope I just spelled that right. <laughs> CurtisMethod.com. And you can watch some of our birth videos there, most of which were filmed by... Is your birth up there? My birth is not on there. I had to film her. I know. I should birth. put. I need to put it up there. Um, I just sometimes I worry about my clients seeing me naked. You know, <laughs> I'm like I'm not sure if we're ready for you them that to naked. see. That's true. <laughs> Only half. Uh, <laughs> the important half. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, CurtisMethod.com. You can watch some of our videos. You can read some of our clients' birth stories. There's a bunch of articles there. You can look at our, you know, class schedule. We do have. It's not out yet, but crossing our fingers by the end of the year, we will have our home study program up and ready to go. I've been working on that. And again, you know, you were kind of the one who planted, Good. planted that this seed too. To me. Really? So yeah. Finally so I know. So it's, it's been a process, but I wanted to make sure we did it right. And I've got some people that I'm Okay. Everybody listening. With. Let's give her a home study. <laughs> build it. Birth this baby, Laura. It I know. Needs- I'm right. Mm-hmm. I'm like six centimeters right now. I'm like seven. I'm about seven. I'm not quite oh, in transition. Oh, you're not even transition No, yet. not quite transition. I'm about okay, seven call centimeters. Call me when you're in transition. I will. <laughs> I'll talk you through it. You can do this. You'll be my business doula. I'll be your business doula. Sarah's like the best business doula I'm, ever. I, I just love to see like the seeds 
yeah. sprout and, and grow and Me too. Yeah. And I know you can do it. I'm I'm if anybody can do I'm it, ready. You can do it. I'm ready. I wait, Sarah, I am doing it. You are doing it. I am doing it, right? Isn't that what you're supposed to say? To yeah, well, I mean, you haven't hit transition yet, so I'm still trying to True. build you okay, up. You're right, okay, you're right. Good. We'll we'll get there. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much thank for coming you. today. This was wonderful. Perfect. Please visit us at birthcircle.com, join our Facebook groups, or find us on Instagram and Pinterest. We hope you'll use our resources to support your birthing experience. And thank you to LaunchPod Media, who produces these podcasts.